Welcome to the ninth episode of Take It or Leave It, where we talk about everything in the realm of workplace leaves, absence management, and accommodation. I'm Josh Seidman, and I'm once again joined by my amazing colleague and co-host, Meg Tope. Meg, a very, very happy belated Mother's Day to you and all the wonderful moms and grandmas, caretakers, and other mother figures out there who mean so much to so many people. How was Mother's Day this year in the Toth household? Thanks. Thanks so much, Judge. It was great, although it already seems like it was a long time ago when it was only just earlier this week. But yeah, it was, it was good. It was low-key. I'm not usually one for wanting to fight the crowds for a brunch when everybody's out. So we just stayed at home. I didn't have to wake up with my children. And the only thing I asked for this year was to get my car detailed and to watch the Miami Grand Prix because I've gotten very into Formula One racing recently. But otherwise, it was, it was good. How was yours? I hope you treated your wife to something special. Oh, man, I, I, we, we sure did. But I, I love it. That sounds like such a great and relaxing Mother's Day. I'm, I'm, it really sounds fantastic. Yeah, on, on our end, thing, things worked out really well. The big heavy lift this year was coming up with a personalized gift for my wife that was involving both our three-year-old and our two-month-old. And I went through a bunch of options and landed on taking some nice pictures of the kids, printing the photos out, and then ambitiously trying to get their handprints you know, onto the photos. Um, <laughs> now, for anyone out there who, who's tried this before, you know, for a birthday or, or other celebration, it is really not that easy. <laughs> you know, getting the, the paint like set up and the kids' hands into the paint, transferring the paint over to the pictures, the whole thing was just a big mess. It involved some crying, some sweat, you know, some of the tears were mine, a lot of the sweat was mine. And really, no one could have told me, like, how uncooperative my two-month-old would have been the second the paint touched her hand. Like, she just went, like, all octopus, and the paint was flying everywhere. <laughs> but uh, it worked out, and I was able to get the handprints on a couple of pictures and get them staged around the house before my wife woke up for Mother's Day morning. So it worked out as good as it could have, miraculously. That's awesome. I, I want to see a picture of those final products or maybe the mess that they made. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. I'll send you a, a before, during, and after. Uh, and I, I actually missed a little bit of cleaning up the paint that was thrown around the kitchen that I saw after the fact that I was making breakfast that morning. So, uh, you know, I did the, the best I could there. <laughs> Always oh, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, uh, obviously, you know, in addition to May being known for Mother's Day, it is known for a lot of other things, too, right? The Kentucky Derby, for example, uh, the NBA and NHL playoffs, and of course, you know, May flowers and their corresponding spring allergies. Another important part of the month is that it also involves the end or at least the winding down of many state legislative sessions around the country. That's right. That's right. And probably usually not on the same list as all those other events for me, but it's definitely important to remember uh, there are countless pieces of legislation introduced, debated, voted on, enacted, and vetoed in the states all around the country each year around this time. And we're very lucky that our, our CIFAR leaves absence management and accommodation team strives to keep tabs on as many of these state legislatures as possible and specifically what they're doing on the paid leave and leave of absence fronts. Of course, tracking these bills, let alone reviewing them and digesting them and figuring out what they mean for our clients when they march towards the enactment can feel like a full-time job on its own. Yes, exactly. For sure it can. And from what our team has seen, 2022 has been another very active year for state and local paid leave legislation. 
And that is why we are so overjoyed and so lucky and excited to introduce you all to our guest for today's episode, Dylan Clare. Dylan is the Director of State Advocacy and Litigation with the ERISA Industry Committee, also known as ERIC. Dylan uses his legal and advocacy skills to lead ERIC's state advocacy efforts, as well as coordinate its expanding legal activities. Among Dylan's many roles and functions, he is the host of ERIC's monthly State of the States webinar, which covers, among other things, the wave of state and local paid leave legislation being considered during the current legislative session. Dylan, welcome to Take It or Leave It, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much, Josh and Meg. Great to be here with you. Really appreciate the opportunity to talk about this, as you mentioned, kind of wave of, of state legislation at the end of session. Yeah, yeah. Dylan, we're, we're so happy you could join us for today's episode. Let's jump right into things because we have a lot of ground to cover with you. Can you tell us a little bit first about Eric and specifically how you and your colleagues go about tracking state paid leave legislative development? Yeah, absolutely, Meg. So I, I think Eric has a bit of a, a unique perspective among trade organizations, but but particularly within the, the paid leave space, which we've been pretty active in. So Eric is a little bit of background is, is the national, the only national association that advocates exclusively for large plan sponsors providing health, retirement, paid leave and other benefits to their nationwide workforces. And so we, we have member companies that are leaders in almost every economic sector. And we advocate on the federal, state, and local levels for policies that promote flexibility and, and uniformity for those employers when they administer their benefit plans. So especially um, when a patchwork of state and local laws kind of pop up to interrupt those. And so um, as far as staying on top of uh, state and local developments, I know uh, the term whack-a-mole gets thrown around often, often comes into play. And part of that, you know, is because there's no real independent uh, anti-paid leave or reasonable business paid leave organization. So it really comes down to coalitions of state employer groups, business groups, even individual companies or national groups like Eric to kind of identify these issues and, and push back on them. And so and there's a, a huge number, as you can imagine, as, as you all may know, of, of small sort of uh, policy teams that kind of work on paid leave. And, and so a lot of Eric's role and effort is kind of identifying these different groups, bringing them together and trying to build coalitions to help shape the proposals. And so um, one of our biggest tools as a, as a final point is sort of identifying priority states. You know, there's always a state legislator anywhere that will find an issue and try to bring it up. But we try to target, you know, where there's generally within paid leave, broad democratic support voter support for paid leave, a, a sort of record of policy debate on paid leave. You know, the, the bills don't generally pop up and move overnight. And so uh, it's really getting in contact with all those different state groups and, and seeing what the next uh, big fight on the horizon is. Yeah, Dylan, that, that's great stuff. And I mean, patchwork, whack-a-mole, you said it, and I you know, completely agree. That is exactly what it feels like. And I love, you know, the no reasonable paid leave organization. That's that's a that's a good line. I'm gonna I'm gonna be using that one because that that should be a thing, right? But I, I I agree with you. I'm not aware of uh, of anything out there that that has that title. So that that's a good one. Let me ask you this: When we're thinking about state paid leave legislation, sort of at a high level, can you give our listeners an overview of what the term paid leave means to just level set us? Is it referring to you know, only a, one or two types of paid leave, like paid sick leave, for example? Or are there other types of paid leave out there that you're seeing pop up in bills around the country? Yeah, well, I'm, uh, first of all, I'm glad we're starting off with some definitions. Um, I, I wish more state lawmakers <laughs> kind of approached the issue in the same way. 
And, you know, Josh, that's part of the problem, but part of the real problem with a state-by-state approach to paid leave is that a definition or a type of leave or a benefit can vary differently, very pretty broadly, actually, from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. And so generally, I tee up paid leave broadly as, you know, the, the replacement of wages and, and protected job or job protection for employees while they're away from work for a qualified reason. And so that could be a ton of different types of leave, right? Paid family medical leave, paid sick leave that we'll talk a bit about today, paid safe leave, paid uh, school event or closure leave, another emerging one, paid bereavement leave, even the ones that, you know, we wouldn't normally think of like paid voter leave, vacation, um, or even general PTO. And, and that sometimes these can tangle with disability insurance or other other similar state offerings. And so generally, it's it's not even really decided whether it's a benefit or a compensation. I think there's pretty strong believers on either side of that argument. But for the purpose of kind of drilling down and, and focusing on some of these independent buckets, for example, paid family medical leave before 1993, before FMLA was probably a much more loosely defined term. But after creation of FMLA, you get a pretty defined outlay. So um, leave to care for a new newly born or adopted child to deal with a serious personal health condition or care for an ill family member. And so it's that sort of national uniformity and that national standard that allows these benefits to be picked up and, and offered across the country. Ultimately, it's hard for employers or, or states to even focus on how to offer paid family medical leave until you know what it is. Yeah, it really sounds like it is such a broad landscape that we're dealing with here. And in terms of trends or big picture, high level topics, have you noticed any trends or big picture state leave trends thus far in the 2022 legislative session? And if so, how have these trends changed from the paid leave trends you saw in 2021, if at all? Right. Well, uh, I I think the biggest note um, for state paid leave, at least in 2022, has actually just been the return to state paid leave in 2022. I know that, uh, you know, before the pandemic, there were lots of different state proposals on paid leave, both in states where it was a serious consideration and those, you know, just trying to score some political points. And a lot of that debate was halted by by COVID-19. And so the broader paid family medical leave programs or even paid sick leave discussions kind of halted as state legislators turned to, to emergency responses. Right. States with with established paid leave policies kind of turned to supplemental emergency paid COVID leave or some form of that. Uh, and, and some states without, you know, these established programs kind of put it on the back burner and said, hey, we're in the middle of global pandemic. Uh, we don't really have the political capital or real capital to, to kind of tackle this. And so 2022 kind of marked the step out from hibernation, right? The, giving a lot of these bubble states that were you know, thinking about paid leave, but not fully in the breathing room to capitalize on that momentum. And so we saw in 2022 um, already two new states created paid family medical leave insurance programs in Maryland and Delaware. And uh, we've seen a range of other, you know, paid leave expansions to existing programs. Um, States always trying to gear up their program to look better compared to others. And so uh, 2022 is really the first year since maybe 2019 that states had that wiggle room to actually come back and start playing with some some proposals. And so the one final point is that the road to paid family medical leave or some other paid leave policies became a little more streamlined. Whereas before somebody would say, hey, we want to be like California or different than California. And I think we should do it through X, Y, and Z. Now the debate comes up, they find some um, advocates, find some areas of, of contention, 
they maybe strip a couple of those away. They order a, a study order, and then you know within a couple of years you, you have a, a program on your hands. And so um, that that continuing uh, growth of the state patchwork is kind of the biggest flag for 2022. That that front line keeps moving, and now ultimately more and more states are really considering it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dylan, absolutely important. I mean, such an important couple of points that you made. I mean, and I, I think really fascinating takeaway, too, is, is that point you, you made right at the end there about the process being more streamlined. I think that's a really important takeaway for our listeners to be aware of. You know, you, you mentioned, too, a bit earlier that, that Eric has priority states that it's paying attention to um, as it's tracking this wave of legislative paid leave activity that's out there. And you combine that with the focus of state legislatures kind of returning to state paid leave, like you mentioned uh, a minute ago as well. So can you tell us a bit, you know, what are the states that you are sort of most focused on that are most on your radar in terms of, you know, anticipated or potential paid leave developments that could occur either during this current 2022 session or perhaps in 2023? You know, we we and our listeners, I mean, we're familiar enough with the big players in the space, right? The Californias and New York's, New Jersey's, Massachusetts, uh, Washington, right? Those locations. But where else we should be paying attention to and keeping an eye on? Yeah, well, I, I think you make a really good point of flagging those sort of regular players, right? Um, the, these bigger states with established programs, uh, they're always going to be, as I, as I mentioned earlier, going to be jostling for more generous programs. California may have been the first in the country, but now they've kind of been outstripped by most of the other state programs in the space. And so just on the sort of regular problem children you had mentioned, I wanted to add a flag for D.C. Just because their city council, you know, is able to move very fast and without as much oversight as a lot of other um, or public attention as other state houses. And they continue to try to expand their program pretty drastically, even though they're one of the newer ones that's barely gotten off the ground. Um, So I wanted to flag that. But generally, you know, that these states with existing programs, there's so many different areas of paid family medical leave just to take one that can be expanded, that can be tweaked with varying, you know, degrees of value for employees and also varying degrees of worry and, and concern for employers. And so like expanded reasons for leave, uh, lowered employee eligibility, longer leave durations, family member definitions, there's dozens of different levers in the space which make it all the all the worse for employer uniformity when you try to take them all one by one. But you mentioned there's these big states that kind of regularly try to update their programs. There's also states hot on their heels trying to join these states with programs. And so two of the biggest priorities for this year were, of course, Maryland and Delaware. And we can talk a little bit about those programs if you all want. But, you know, those programs are now enacted and moving forward. And so our, our kind of look forward for the rest of 2022 and into 2023, some of our other priority states are Maine, Virginia, Vermont, Illinois, who's who's in recess through, um, I think, early October, um, but has been talking about paid sick leave and general PTO a lot. And then also the maybe the biggest flag for the short term is Minnesota, an interesting state, a, a Democrat-controlled House, uh, Republican-controlled Senate. And interesting in that there's not really, like we've seen in other states, one proposal that people are either opposed to or in favor of. There's actually a few different programs or, or policies being put out there that that the Senate and House are kind of flinging back at one another. And so, um, yeah, those are those are a lot of our priority states legislatively, of course. We'll, we'll talk in a bit, I think, about the regulatory side of things as well. Very interesting. So I'm hearing there's a lot going on in a lot of different states. Focusing in on the paid family and medical leave topic for a minute, are you also keeping track of the regulatory or rulemaking processes in the states that have already enacted paid family leave or the program isn't yet providing benefits to employees like in Oregon and Colorado? Anything else going on there? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned, you know, the other side of this, the state advocacy coin. Um, I, I think, you know, in the past, a lot of the battle has been in the legislative sort of process. And so uh, what we're seeing as, as an additional trend is more and more states are, you know, setting up the boundaries, setting up the duration of leave, some standards, and then kicking a lot of the, the process building to state regulators. And so the three newest programs created, you, you had mentioned Colorado and then also Maryland and Delaware for 2022 and 2023, even into the next year after that, there's going to be a, a huge increased importance on that regulatory development. You know, Colorado is the, the first of these state programs to be created through um, a referendum, essentially. And so for that reason, there's a lot of questions remaining um, as to how employers will comply, how employers can gain an exemption for equivalent benefits. And then, you know, in Maryland, basically the same Maryland by choice in their legislation, basically left employer exemption process and then as well and uh, contribution levels to the program, basically up to regulators. Um, and then finally, in Delaware, there's a pretty clear concern raised that uh, self-insured, basically equivalent employer plans be funded uh, with a bond through the state. Um, and so there's going to be lots of, you know, niche fights within the paid leave space that don't really come up during legislative sessions that that are critical to employers and ultimately could prove more important um, than, than a lot of the battles that were you know fought in the state house. And so a key example of this is Massachusetts's program years ago that probably one of the messier exemption processes for employers. And it was a year long fight to try to clean some of those up. And so going forward, lawmakers often ask uh, in different states or even at the federal level, they ask, you know, what's a what's a great example of a state that's done X, Y or Z right? And so these states, as they're kind of these newer states, as they're being developed in regulation, it's important for, you know, Eric and, and for employers and other interested parties to kind of build out a premium example or a prime example of what states should try to reflect instead of bad examples that they should try to avoid. Yeah, absolutely, Dylan. And, you know, it's as the patchwork gets messier, to your point, there are more examples for newer states to look at and to pick and choose different components from. So I completely agree, right? Getting an understanding on the employer side of the aisle about what components work and don't work, you know, at a high level, I think is a really important point and takeaway. So it's a great, great call out. So keeping with the paid family medical leave topic for just another minute or two here, Dylan, in addition to, you know, you mentioned Maryland and Delaware, right? I'm curious sort of your high level thoughts on those two programs, how they fit into the overall sort of bigger picture of the paid family medical leave patchwork that's out there today. And also, besides those two states, have there been any other paid family medical leave programs that have been introduced so far during the current legislative session that our listeners should know about? Yeah, Josh, and, and I think it does a it does a pretty good job, you know, diving into Delaware and Maryland of of kind of showing where these state programs are, are trending. And so, at a high level, uh, I think the the general trend is for states to push more and more weeks of leave, a higher duration of leave, and then also higher and higher wage replacement. Aside from that, though, I think there there's a little bit more splitting between states on some of the other quote-unquote levers within paid family medical leave. And so on one hand, there's been a, a pretty broad recognition by more recent states of the value of existing employer benefits and saying, you know, if the point of this is to provide benefits to as many people as possible, maybe we should make use of the employer benefits that that have been in place and have been proven to be effective. And so th there's an increase in equivalent employer exemptions, as I mentioned before. There's also a, a steady growth, you know, um, in state preemption of local benefits. You know, Maryland in the 11th hour included language, not allowing uh, cities or localities to create their own sort of patchwork within a patchwork, which we really appreciate. Outside of that, 
Lots of the other levers like employee eligibility, family member definition, they do vary state to state and they're not trending broader or less. It really is one off. And that's the real issue, right, with with approaching it state by state. You had mentioned also some of the upcoming legislative proposals or other programs that could be on the horizon. And I do want to give some good news. It doesn't look like any other PFML insurance programs will be moving or being passed this year. As you all had mentioned earlier, partially because a lot of state sessions are wrapping up, but also a lot of the the states that were right on that line that were in the middle of their fight were Delaware, Maryland, um, and and some neighboring states. So right now we do see sort of a calming down, uh, uh, but as I had mentioned before, a moving of the front line. There are new purple states, even red states that are considering paid leave that never really did before. And so along that line, I wanted to flag Wisconsin. They had introduced a bill earlier in March. They're actually in recess through May, but are, are getting ready to step their debate back up. It is a bit of a pared down program, but that's the moving frontier. Every state isn't going to try to outdo uh, New York or California. Um, some of them just want to put something on the books. The other big one that I flagged and actually had mentioned Minnesota before is Minnesota's proposal. Um, it has a, a pretty unique broadening of buckets for paid family medical leave. We talked about at the beginning of the call that definitions and what is paid family medical leave is so important. And so it's interesting that that this bill would add pregnancy, uh, safe leave, um, and other areas of family care to the sort of bedrock definition. And so on top of that, not including uh, preemption of localities or an equivalent employer exemption makes this a pretty bad bill for employers. But as I had said before, the kind of split between the, the state houses in Minnesota means that it's, it's not going to be going anywhere anytime soon. Interesting. So speaking about new laws and laws that aren't necessarily passing, if the state legislator is unsuccessful at passing a full paid family and medical leave program, like the ones we were talking about that were recently enacted, what happens next? Where does their focus then turn to? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, a, a state paid family medical leave insurance program is, is certainly the holy grail for advocates, right? That's the, the ultimate goal. But as you know, it's regularly a difficult prospect with an even bigger price tag all too often. But, you know, how states respond to failure or pushback sort of varies. You know, there are some some blue states that can smell the blood in the water, right? So Maryland had introduced this bill for five, six, maybe even more years um, before it was passed this year, kind of knowing that it wasn't a matter of if, but when. You know, some other states, even even blue controlled states, sometimes realize that it's a bridge too far. The political capital is just not there. There's a changing in the winds. And so they, they kind of lower down, sometimes looking at paid sick leave or PTO if that doesn't already exist. So a prime example is Illinois, right? They've been fighting about minimum wages and tons of other issues, and they realize that there's no government cost or administrative burden to a paid sick leave or a PTO requirement. And so they've, over the last year or so, kind of decided that that's the angle they want to explore more. On the other hand, there are some, you know, in some red states where nothing is really going to pass ever. Some advocates will, you know, propose a slim down program like three, four, six weeks with very little employer funding to build voter support to basically say, hey, one in 100 people wanted this. We introduced this bill now five in 100 want something along these lines. And so using that to kind of leverage um, and, and draw out that front line that I mentioned earlier. And then finally, in, in some other purple states, some states with more of a eclectic view of paid leave as an issue, lawmakers try to introduce some other approaches. So, for example, in Virginia, Virginia has passed and now in Minnesota, they're proposing private paid family medical leave insurance as a product, basically encouraging insurers to provide these these insurance products and, you know, sometimes creating tax credits to incentivize employers to make use of them. 
So ultimately, you know, I, I don't think these are enough to satiate proponents or advocates, but, you know, remains to be seen how a state like Minnesota or Virginia or uh, another purple or leaning red state could implement something like that as an alternative. Yeah, so fascinating, Dylan. I mean, it really is, you know, you, you get over one hurdle and then there is, you know, other other hurdles to jump over as well. I mean, employers just have to keep their ear to the ground on so many of these, these pieces of legislation, because even if one doesn't make it, like you said, others could pop up in its place. And and keeping with that, that trend and that thought, and let's maybe put aside paid family leave and, and paid sick leave for, for just a second here. Have you seen any other trends in terms of paid leave legislation during this 2022 session, you know, other types of leaves that might be popping up in these bills that, that you're keeping tabs on? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, you know, I, I think it's important to point out that sometimes a trend in the right direction or in the wrong direction can be spurred by what employers are already doing. And so that's certainly true for paid family medical leave, which, which you know, was made popular by employers before it became a public policy. And so I think advocates of paid leave laws are kind of looking into employer playbooks a bit, you know, looking at uh, bereavement leave, um, as we had mentioned, looking at general PTO and looking at these general practices that the private sector really developed and coined. Um, and now they're saying, that's great. That clearly works. Everybody should have that. And so one of the concerns is that they look at the result without understanding what makes that policy work. And so to the extent that, you know, state lawmakers and paid leave advocates are looking into that playbook, we're seeing a lot of bereavement leave, uh, a lot of general PTO sort of proposals being put on the books. Yeah, very interesting. Do you have a sense about how many state and local pieces of paid leave legislation Eric is tracking? This, like I'm speaking out in terms of like introduced bills and active bills that are not yet in effect, but are undergoing regulatory development and bills that have become law but may be experiencing potential amendments. You know, has the paid leave trend been slowing down at all in 2022 as compared to the last few years in terms of based on what Eric is tracking? Well, I'd say the trend is, is certainly not slowing down, maybe just waking up post-pandemic, really. Trying to put some numbers, trying to give some context to it. Uh, we actually used to, to bring this up pretty regularly in our calls of look at the volume of legislation, right? So pre-COVID, there was usually, I mean, regularly more than 400 bills, state, local level regulatory introductions that, that we try to track and, and try to, you know, keep a hold on in some way. During COVID, the, these numbers, you know, dropped a little bit, but we're vastly refocused. So instead of 400 bills and maybe 100 get serious consideration, it was 100 bills and 80 of them got real work done. And so, as I mentioned before, a lot of shifted focus to emergency paid leave, supplemental paid leave. But now, you know, post-COVID, states are kind of forgetting about those emergency decisions, those emergency measures, and starting to return to the, the idea that, wow, maybe we should have had paid sick leave. Maybe we wouldn't have had to scramble for an emergency provision if we just had this set up and, and ready to go. And so now the, the legislative numbers are kind of rising back into the high 200s, low 300s, but, you know, unfortunately getting a lot more traction in those legislatures as well. And so, you know, paid family medical leave and, and paid leave generally aren't a hot new topic and so there's less uh, throwing spaghetti at the wall to see what state stakeholders are interested in more concerted efforts to, you know, create a unique state program or state policy that are popular and, and that can ultimately pass. It's good stuff, Dylan. And so, so many bills. Thank you just you know, in advance and, and continuously for keeping tabs on as much as, as you and your Eric colleagues do. It is, it is helpful for us and, and member companies and, and, and anyone who's paying attention in the paid leave space. So thanks for that. One more question here for you. 
You mentioned quite a bit ago, right, that the focus in 2021, right, was, was not necessarily on the state leave programs and state paid leave laws, right? There was really more of a focus on federal paid leave. And for a while there, it looked like 2021 really could have been the year that federal paid leave became a, a thing and, and that would be applied to private employers. Now, of course, right, the Build Back Better Act's paid family medical leave component, like the rest of the legislation, sort of fizzled and, and failed to materialize, at, at least for now. Do you have a sense of where things currently stand on the federal paid leave front? And if federal paid leave legislation is going to return to the stage in 2022 or 2023, what are some of the components that you and Eric will be paying most attention to in terms of its impact on, on private employers? I think, you know, um, it's hard to talk about federal paid leave without state paid leave and hard to talk about state paid leave without mentioning federal paid leave. And so our outlook on both are really shaped by both. And our, our primary aim is sort of the national uniformity that FMLA used to create and that so far uh, states have continued to sort of chip away at. Um, and so long story short, r- right now, it doesn't look like there's much of an immediate vehicle for federal paid leave to move in, uh, which is a bit of a far fall from the, the momentum, as you mentioned, that BBB and, and federal paid leave were building in 2021. I think if we went back a year ago um, and talked to our former selves, we would kind of uh, be interested to see how how anxious and how geared up we all were for BBB and, and federal paid leave. And so, I mean, that being said, there there were real issues with with Build Back Better and its interaction through paid leave with, with, you know, legacy states, with the state patchwork, with employers, and didn't, you know, despite the fact that proponents continue to say that this was the end-all be-all, this would cordon off these 10 legacy states, it would solve the state patchwork, and it would make everybody happy. A lot of, you know, a lot of employer groups didn't quite agree. Um, We saw that Build Back Better would have kind of empowered and and given special status to these these legacy states without really controlling or, or setting a universal standard for them, and that it actually could have had the opposite effect on on these other states, that it could have caused an Oklahoma or a Nebraska to jump in and create a four or six week program when they never would have dreamed of doing it beforehand. And so, you know, a, a lot of the form and benefits, uh, the form of benefits is important to the discussion. You know, a, a lot of our Hill meetings and, and advocacy were aimed around sort of showing how important the FMLA has been, showing how important uh, uniformity is, and also in sh- in showing the difference between these legacy states and non-legacy states and how they would really interact. And so, as I mentioned kind of at the top, the most important thing for Eric is how employers are able to interact with any sort of federal benefit or or these state programs. And so, you know, it remains to be seen whether Build Back Better is is the vehicle that will continue. I know that um, a lot of that will may be determined. Its course may be determined by midterms coming up in a few months. And that ultimately, you know, if a federal program is to move forward, it has to consider the state paid leave patchwork. I think the falling short of Build Back Better makes that perfectly clear. And then, uh, you know, ultimately, it's important to remember that millions of Americans currently get valuable paid leave benefits from their employer um, and, and for the most part love those benefits and gain a lot of value from them. And so any federal action on paid leave, any state action as well, needs to recognize this and focus on providing those benefits to those without them instead of reinventing or moving the goalpost or dragging back uh, benefits that are already proven to work. Yeah, Dylan, that, that's great. I mean, such valuable, useful information for our listeners, for us, for our listeners, for member companies that are out there. Really appreciate you taking the time to be with us today and sharing your insights and all, and all that you and Eric are doing in the paid leave space. Yeah, thank you so much, Dylan. It was really great to have you. No, thank you both. It's, as I mentioned, always great to get these minds together. It's a small paid leave world. So 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And thank you to our listeners out there for joining us for this episode. We will see you next time.